Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Grow You podcast. Grow You is a podcast based out of Woodlands Church in Plover, Wisconsin. Our hope is to help you better engage issues going on in our culture with the truth of the Bible. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page and leave a comment. We hope you enjoy today's episode with your hosts, Matt and Nate. Thanks for listening. Hello again, and welcome to the Grow You Podcast. My name is Matt. Hi. With my friend... <laughs> with my friend... Nate. Nate. Mike. Nate, I was going to call myself Nate Mike, and that's just indoctrination from you. I it don't is. call myself that. He does not refer to himself as Nate Mike. I wish he did in the third person. That would feel good. But... Nathan Michael Brown. Nate Mike Brown. Let's keep going. Here we All go. All right. Well, <laughs> on today's podcast, we want to start with a song and share a small song with you. And so Nate Mike will pl- play you this song. It'll be great. Nice. Based on that song, we could talk about any number of things. <laughs> so I, I feel like when that song is played, I, people probably are thinking one of a number of things. If you're like me, it's I'd never heard that before. and uh, But if someone told me what it was, I would say, oh, I've heard of that. What have you never heard? Uh, I'd never heard that intro song before. From Big Bang Theory? That's the intro song for Big Bang Theory. There's the intro song for Big Bang Theory. And I, I had never heard of it, and I have not watched it. I think I've seen like clips of it from mm. people or something like that, but it's mm-hmm. never been a show that I okay. have watched. Not actually a huge fan of uh, sitcoms that have the live audience um, yeah, it is a little kind cheese. of stuff. Or, like cue the laugh yeah. stuff. Yeah, like, so even, <laughs> like, you can hate me for this, but even Friends is not... Like my favorite show. What about so. Seinfeld? Okay, that's heresy. I, anyway, we're gonna move on because that's 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 an episode in itself. <clears throat> don't, don't. So that's one one of responses. I'd oh. never heard that before. Okay, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Another response is, oh, that's an awesome show. I love that show, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much where it ends. Um, some people might hear the idea of a big bang and talking about the evolution of, uh, autotropes drooling. And yeah. Neanderthals. And, <laughs> and there might be some frustration. Oh, so, right. yep. Yep. Um, that could be, that could be frustrating. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Cause it's yeah, the intro to that song actually. So that show is really interesting to me because we were just talking about this, that they're, uh, if you were to read a little bit on how they write their scripts, their science is pretty on point. Like many, most, if not many scientists would agree that, um, the science they talk about, I mean, the actors don't actually know it, I don't think, but the science they talk about is pretty, like, uh, spot on, and they do their research so that they aren't saying random scientific jargon. They're actually saying real things and talking about real things, mm-hmm. which is super impressive to me, but yeah. I, again, I doubt the actors really know that, but anyway. And so today, we we <clears throat> are venturing into the world of talking about science and faith, mm-hmm. and we're hopefully going to ultimately talk about right-sizing the issue and seeing how does this play into how we live and how we talk to other people and where this sits in our musings on faith and 
importance. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal, right? In the sense, uh, in the sense that this shouldn't be something that, like, if the if the Christian faith, like, if if I asked you, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? <clears throat> Excuse me. What makes you a Christian? It's that it's that belief that Jesus Christ is God, came into the world, died uh, on behalf of the sins of the world, was raised on the third day, and uh, in in the resurrection defeated sin, death, and evil, and will return again to permanently eradicate all of creation from sin, death, and evil, right? Like, if I had to say what it means to be a Christian, I would say that. Mm. I wouldn't say that there's a right and wrong stance on the exact science of creation, but we'll get into that today, actually. Not the science as much as the Bible approach. And I think that's one thing that is really interesting in conversations about science and faith is that um, we have so many interdisciplinary uh, overlaps that happen in these two things to where we can't, uh, it seems really as though we can't let science be science and let scriptural study or biblical studies be biblical studies. Like, um, we want to have a combination of both of them. And there are a lot of, this is an important issue to talk about because there's actually a lot of Christians who are scientists, not Christian scientists, very different. Christian science (laughs) is very different than this, Uh, but we're not going to talk about Christian science today. Sorry. It's a Matt being tired tangent. Um, But I think for Christian, there's a lot of Christians who are in scientific fields or at least studying to be in scientific fields who have um, heard a lot of rhetoric about uh, the necessity to believe in a six-day literal creation. And we're not going to talk about that necessity today because, again, it's a right-size issue, right? I mean, I'm sure you've heard this too. I mean, you've you've also – I mean, your area of expertise is technically in a scientific field. Mm-hmm. Is it not, right? <clears throat> yeah. I, um, most of the studies that I went through centered around studying the human body. And so we, physiology, biology. Yep. yep. Um, and biology anatomy, is a huge area of – Anatomy, biomechanics. Yeah. At some point in biology, you probably had an evolution class, I would guess. Um, not one specific to evolution, but it's tied into uh, the theory of, you know, why things work the way they do. Totally. In terms of physiological mm. responses to things. That was yeah, totally. Sometimes tied in, but yeah. Because that's one thing about evolution. So just to mention <clears throat> the, the terminology of evolution really quickly and, and define some semantics about it. Because that's one thing about evolution that's interesting that uh, I've come across uh, in a lot of reading on the issue is the idea of evolution not being a belief system. It's not something like, if I ask you, do you believe in evolution? Well, I don't believe in it. I don't, like, place my faith in it, nor do I, uh, although you could say I guess some scientists do, in the sense that, like, it, it, it's more of an operational law that people in the science community, especially in the bio- biology community, like, live by and work by. And it, they, if... Uh, 7 times x equals 21. Well, evolution is often the x to solve that. Really, the number is 3 in that equation. But, like, if 7 yeah, seven times x equals 21, uh, often evolution is the x that works over and over and over again. So it's, a, it's more like a, a tool and a principle that they plug in and it works. Um, and that's me as a pastor saying that. I'm not a scientist, so right. forgive me for my... Any science nerds, forgive me for my complete and utter lack of scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that said, though, um, there's a lot of Christians in scientific fields are studying to be in scientific fields who struggle with with this issue. 
Um, because it seems like when you read the Bible, it says, well, look, six days, God created the world in six days. Um, but I think one, the big, the big importance here is right-sizing this. This is not a salvation issue, right? It's not an issue that defines you as a Christian or not. And, um, one of the things I love about Woodlands Church, church I work at, right, is the idea of the church where we attend is the idea that uh, it's an evangelical free church. And that just means that we, um, mostly in theory, major on the majors and minor on the minors. And science and a six-day literal uh, interpretation of the first you know, page of the Bible, two pages of the Bible, is not, it's not necessary to the Christian faith. It's not an absolute essential, I should say, to the Christian faith. Yeah. So you can, you can have, there's room for debate on this. And so uh, heading into this type of topic, it's important to remember when you're conversing with somebody that there is room for debate. Mm-hmm. Right-size this and ask yourself the question, does this, um, does this mean I'm a Christian or I'm not? And I think some of what we'll talk about today will open up the possibility that you can actually listen to science. It's okay. Um, you can also choose to not listen to science. That's okay too. Um, but there are real, real boots on the ground, people to people interaction consequences that come from both sides of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, and whenever we talk about theology, that's, that's the important part to remember, right? Is that, uh, theology that doesn't have rubber meeting the road, uh, is really difficult theology. It's hypothetical theology that you Mm -hmm. can probably only do with your closest friends or people who don't feel things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cause you know, like if I, if I say something hypothetically, if I said hypothetically, Nate, that like God controls your every move and every move around you and moves you like a chess piece. If I said that to you, you might sit there and say, well, there's tragedy in my family. I'm not, this is all hypothetical again. You might say there's tragedy in my family. Why would God do that tragedy? If he moves people like chess, chess pieces, why would he do that? Um, That's a theological debate that I think when rubber meets the road can be very dangerous to have with strangers but the science and faith one is one that we have with strangers all the time yeah. and forget that like when we tell people that work in the science community, um, nope, you must believe in a six-day literal creation or you're not a Christian, we have suddenly told people who are very faithful to Jesus Christ that they cannot be Christians. Or or when I, when I think of this too, I, <clears throat> I think sometimes if, if we too strongly take a stance in one direction, um, it can be this roadblock in the way of someone coming to even consider Jesus. So if if there's someone who has never even thought about um, Christianity, maybe hasn't heard of the Bible, um, but is very entrenched in the, in the sciences and um, has been learning a lot and working in that field. And that's part of them. And you say, well, you can't come to know Christ until you um, have agreed that there's a six day literal creation. Um, That I think that takes so much away from the cross Mm. and, um, and so that, I think that's just worth considering, you know, yeah. how, how, um, this might not be the most important issue mm. when it comes to the Christian faith, but it can be a huge roadblock for someone to even consider Christ mm. and, um, finding out how can I talk about this with somebody in a way that takes down barriers. Um, if you happen to be a like six day creationist, um, person, um, figure out how can you talk about that or, or not in a way to 
uh, not hinder someone from coming to consider Jesus. Yeah. Um, I think that's important too. Mm. So both for those who are in Christ saying, oh, you're not a Christian because you don't believe this, or for those who haven't even considered him, don't let that be the roadblock. Oh, yeah. And that's that's a great, that's, that's and ultimately, dude, that's probably the biggest, that's the biggest deal, right? We're done. That's it. That's it. That's that's the end of it, right? Like that's the that's, like, that's the biggest deal, right? Is is when we start adding things to the gospel, mm-hmm. um, truly adding things like you, yes, trust in Christ and faithfully follow Christ, but wait, also believe in six day literal creation, right? right? Like uh, things like that just become really difficult for people, and mm-hmm. I think there's there's plenty of. Uh, you know, high school students who have gone to college, and they're like, I grew up in a pretty conservative evangelical world uh, that talked about college as like a liberal hotbed where like I would be told nothing but evolution. Granted, I went I went to a Christian private college um, where they did talk about evolution in sciences. They did talk about that a little bit, but um, I th- I think there's also the, the myth of the state school, and I—I I don't know if it's a, a myth. Actually, you went to a state school, yeah. so you could describe What's it. What's the? Tell me what the myth well, is the, first. The myth that I've heard. Maybe it's not a myth. Again, maybe it's not a myth. I don't know. Is the idea that um, every professor will hate you if you're a Christian, and every professor will talk about how dumb Christ is and how dumb Christianity is, and will tell you that evolution and science is the way to the world's salvation. Um, and I don't—I I haven't experienced that from many of my friends who went to state schools. I haven't experienced that with yeah. professors I know at state schools. I haven't experienced that with non-Christians that I know who have gone, who are going to state school yeah. and have gone to state school. Like I haven't experienced that at all, but there is that idea that like, there is some, some merit to the idea that when students who haven't talked about this issue much and are just told that, nope, six day, that's it. That's the only possibility. And if you can defend that and feel okay with it, again, that's fine. I'm, we're not talking about uh, about advocating one scientific view over another. Mm-hmm. We will in a second talk about uh, a scriptural view mm-hmm. of those first pages of the Bible mm-hmm. um, that I would advocate for. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about a specific scientific view. So they go to go, go to college and they're like, um, "Yep, this is it." And then all of a sudden, a very reasonable, viable scientific opinion is told to them by somebody. And they have to hold these things in tension all of a sudden. Yeah. Things that they were never asked to hold in tension, but they were told this is an enormous issue and mm-hmm. we have to hold it in tension. Well, just, I mean, speaking to the myth of the state, the state school thing, I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is just my experience, but um, yet I never once felt any of that kind of pressure mm-hmm. from a professor. Yeah. Um, and I, I was a kinesiology major at UW-Madison mm-hmm. and... So I took a lot of the science classes, and it was in the School of Education, so I took a lot of liberal arts classes as well. So yeah. both of those were part of my curriculum. The head of the biology department at the time when I was um, going through Madison uh, is a Christian, mm-hmm. and he I was part of the Navigators uh, ministry down there, mm-hmm. um, and they would bring him in to give talks on science and faith. And oh, so, wow. so even in the sciences, um, there were... Christians at the state school that I went to, um, and, um, exercise physiology professor just that I, that I knew just able to talk Mm -hmm. to a a lot of those people about those things. And, um, yeah, I just never felt that pressure, Mm -hmm. uh, or yeah, no, I I didn't experience that. Yeah. But to those of you who have felt that, I'm, we're not saying that's not real. Right. So I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's that's out there too. Any, any, 
harkening back to an episode on on politics and kingdoms of the world, anytime there's any kind of institutional power anywhere, of course there's some measure of like power abuse in that where like yeah. it where you believe one thing and the institution believes another and they push back on that. Of course, um, that happens. I just it's one of those. I was I grew up with the thought that it's widespread, and I'm as I've spoken with more people and heard more, it's not as widespread as I've, as I was told, but ultimately that ultimately there's a ton of roadblocks that come from this issue of science mm-hmm. and faith. So let's dive in because our intro as, as <laughs> we have thoroughly covered it, yeah. I think, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, it's, it's good to talk about a scriptural approach. So we're not going to talk about the science because I am not, Nate could probably talk more science than I could. He's going to shake his head and say no because he's always disgustingly humble like that. But they, um, well, we're going to talk scripture today because that's, well, one, it's a Christian podcast. But two, I think we're going to actually talk about a way, um, uh, something that we probably know more about uh, right. and not uh, rant on something we don't know about. So all of you scientists and science lovers out there, don't worry. You won't be cringing because we're going to say something dumb. Um Although we might. Although I might. I must say I might. We. I. We. Are you saying yes in French or are you saying <laughs> sick burn? <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, all right. So with that in mind, um, we are going to talk about uh, a little something uh, called hermeneutics in a way. Hermeneutics are essentially a lens through which you read the Bible. There's different types of hermeneutics. Hermeneut- hermeneutics, if you were to see if I can spell it, H E R M. E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S, hermeneutics. Um, I'm spell checking you right now. Do it. Hermeneutics. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S. Yeah, good job. I was always good at spelling. Anyway, I win. Um, So hermeneutics, uh, a hermeneutic, singular, is a lens through which you read the Bible. There's different ways to look at the, the story of Scripture and... Um, interpret it and view it. <clears throat> and one of the ways that has been really helpful for me as I've read Genesis, uh, specifically Genesis 1, 1 to 11, but uh, even more specifically than that, Genesis 1 and 2, where you see uh, two different creation accounts, one that starts really broad and one that zooms in a little more mm-hmm. on uh, human <clears throat> beings. Um, if you wanted to look at the differences between the two, um, we'll talk about why there may seem to be logical uh, logical errors there. Um, if you read closely, and many of you will be sharp people and notice those things, like there's light on, on the first day, but then the sun and the moon aren't created till the fourth day, things like that. Um, well, there's the, the hermeneutic we want to talk about this morning is something called a temple temple theology hermeneutic. Um, yeah. Also, was there is there something about in the first, between the first and the second accounts, the orders are different too, yes. right? Yep. So it's those, that's another interesting Correct. thing to consider yeah. to read through this stuff. But anyway, no, let's, yeah, yeah, let's yeah, keep yeah. going. Because we, we want to call those things out and be like, hey, those those are there. I'm not going to go through some logical hoops to talk about that. But the, there's a reason that they're there. And it's actually, when you read it through the, the proper lens, it's all good. Yeah. So um, the proper lens, just broadly speaking, so starting this discussion on this temple theology, um, so whenever you're interpreting the Bible, uh, it's pretty safe, uh, Bible interp 101 to say this passage, whatever the passage is, this passage can't mean something to me that it did not mean 
to the original readers. So it can't mean something to me that it did not mean to the original readers. And so when we're talking about the original readers, we are talking about ancient people who are way, way before the modern uh, science uh, and industrial revolution. Like, we're way before that. Right. And so these people aren't asking the question of how did things get here. So it's not about that. Uh, Genesis 1 to 3, and 1 to 2 specifically, is not about how did things get here? How were the molecules uh, pieced together? How did the universe start in a hot, dense state? And how did God, right? Like, like, like the Big Bang Theory song. Yep. It's not discussing um, that. What it is discussing, and the author's, the authorial intent, is to discuss why things are here. The why was a much bigger question than the how. And mm-hmm. so um, whenever we read Genesis 1 to 2, I think it's good, one, to just kind of shake off that idea of this is telling me how things got here versus telling me why things are here. Mm-hmm. So when we ask that question, why things are here, we then move into the idea that... Um, Genesis is a uh, it's actually it's an origins account. These first couple pages of the Bible are origins accounts that are actually moderately similar, not totally. In fact, they're very unique, but moderately similar to um, other ancient creation accounts, which talk about a world in which uh, these other creation accounts, specifically Babylonian, Egyptian, Assyrian, Akkadian, um, these ancient civilizations, they talk about how gods, different gods will war against one another and out of their warring will come uh, the world that we know. Out of their warring, they, they shape this. and Or the victor, the god who wins the victory, <clears throat> wins the right to shape this world and um, creates humans out of that. And they build a temple. These gods, whoever the victor god is in these wars, usually builds a temple on the earth, um, kind of in, actually enslaves humans to build that temple and then demands that humans come and offer sacrifices uh, to them to supply their needs. So gods in the ancient world were these dependent, in the polytheistic ancient world, they're these dependent people who um, are kind of like <sighs> banal. Like they're, they're kind of like uh, banal, not banal, banal. They're kind of like, uh, wow, uh, early in the morning. Okay. Um, See, here's the reality. I didn't even know either of those words, so I wouldn't have known. Benial is not a word. So (laughs) sorry, English people. Um, So, but these, these gods are very, very arrogant, banal people who just like are self-centered and um, they're needy and humans are created for the sole purpose of meeting the needs of the gods. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of a why that the ancient world gives. Well, Genesis differs actually. Genesis at the very beginning, right, uh, starts with this statement, there is one God. There's not many, and there's not even mention of other gods. There's just this one God who's there. And he, uh, he's, if there was a war of any kind, he's already won it pretty handily. And he's the one true most powerful God who speaks the world into yeah. existence and doesn't do it out of warring or out of warfare or selfish need. And we find that out later, actually. He doesn't do it out of selfish need. Um, he does it because he's a relational God who loves human beings. And so he, uh, he creates the world and gives everything order and purpose. And so we have to remember for this ancient audience, order and purpose, again, dive into the context of the ancient audience and what the authorial intent was. And we look back into a culture where order and purpose was very, very important. When things didn't have uh, a place in society, it was chaotic. When things 
didn't have a role to play or didn't have um, some sort of greater purpose, uh, even individuals uh, in their community. It was chaotic. So chaos is the opposite of purpose, order, and roles. Does, mm-hmm. that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about this, we then end up with this interesting little situation where if you were to read Genesis 1, specifically in the creation account, what you start seeing is things are actually uh, a, an environment is built and given a purpose to house things, and then the thing that lives in it is put in the environment. So if you looked at Genesis 1, for example... Before we go into this... Yeah, yeah, please. Can I... Uh, just a quick uh, little... Another little plug for state schools. Mm, yeah. Um, not, being, <laughs> nice. not being awful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, during my um, kind of oral literature class, uh, one of the things that we did was read origin stories mm. um, from this time period, and it also included the Genesis account. Mm, mm. And we had to uh, kind of draw out differences between them, and that is where I learned kind of the beauty and the difference mm. of the, the Christian creation story yeah. um, versus the origin story of, uh, of other um, ancient civilizations and that huge difference of, of war being the catalyst for like the creation of things versus this, there, there's no war. It was this peaceful time yep. where God didn't create out of any other purpose than, <clears throat> than creating beauty mm. um, I don't know if that's actually a true statement. What I just said, but that, that is, idea yeah. where, where it was uh, it was not forced out of out of war or anything like that. And mm-hmm. so um, I learned a lot about God through that uh, experience in that class. I just mm-hmm. thought that was yeah. Just want to share it. No, that that's great though because that that's true. I think that's one of those like you know if you if you are taking a religious studies class or end up talking about this stuff in class for whatever reason, there's a reality that. You may hear, and in culture, you may just hear someone say, oh, yeah, Genesis is a creation story just like the ancient ones. And that's half true. Like, that's a half truth to acknowledge. But I think we actually glean a much deeper, more rich understanding of Scripture when we uh, lean into that a little bit Mm -hmm. and say, okay, maybe it is an ancient creation account. So what does that mean then? And is it different? And it is. It's vastly, vastly different than the other creation accounts. The way it interacts with those is just, a, it, it was a stark difference and, yes. it, and it made a statement of, of, uh, yeah, it kind of just doesn't make sense in the midst of all the other ones where the, mm. where in a, in a good way, yes, like it totally. doesn't make sense where it doesn't, it just doesn't follow a pattern. It kind of, yeah. it makes a different. It's the cultural standout. Yes. In the sense that it, it centers on human beings being created for no good reason other than God loves them mm-hmm. and God wants to live in community with more people. God wants to live in perfect relationship with more people. Yeah. Um, but we, we see that starting, right? So if yeah. you were to look at this idea of God giving purpose, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, this is about purpose and not about um, uh, just how things got here, but about God giving a purpose to things. So that's why there's some vague mentions of like, even in verse Genesis 1-2, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You might ask yourself things like, uh, how did the earth that was there get there? Well, of course God created it, but what is the, what are we saying here? Well, again, the author's not talking about science. The author's talking about a why, what's going on. So... In ancient, liter- ancient creation literature, ancient accounts like this, if there is formless things, that's chaotic, empty, darkness, watery depths, waters, 
These are all representations of chaos and disorder in the ancient world. And so the author's using those those to make a point here. Mm -hmm. There was chaos and there was disorder. God creates, God merely speaks, and then there is order and purpose. And so again, if you start looking at things, um, he, God creates, uh, he creates seas and water and land and puts like uh, trees and seed bearing things on the land, but then fills the sea with fish and fills the land with animals. And he creates, he's creating ecosystems and creating places to dwell, places to live, and then filling those places to live. And so this is where we get to the temple piece of our of our hermeneutic mm-hmm. in this, is this idea that, remember how in other ancient creation accounts, um, these gods, <coughs> the victor god of the war, whatever war it was, will uh, set up, he will enslave human beings. Note that, very important, he will enslave human beings, force human beings to build a temple at which they have to come and pay sacrifices to him to meet his needs. Hmm. Uh, Genesis is super different, like, <laughs> like super different. Um, the temple that's being created is actually the whole world. This is the temple. There's no mention of a temple because the whole world is the temple. God's goal is actually to dwell with human beings, again, in perfect relationship in this world, this world that he, he creates good and calls good, very good. He creates this, and his goal is to dwell in. That's the temple. But in that temple, he actually meets all the needs of all the things that are living. He doesn't demand that the living things meet his needs. He's a God who supplies and gives Mm -hmm. out. Not only does he give life and the breath of life to all things, uh, the breath of life to human beings, but he gives life to all things. Mm -hmm. But he also supplies their every need in this temple Mm -hmm. and dwells perfectly with them in this temple. And this is what the author is saying about the world that we live in. He's saying, well, why, why is it here? Well, it's so that God can dwell with his people, with human beings in this world forever. Mm-hmm. God can live in perfect relationship and harmony here. And God's doing the work, which is totally different than, yeah. than these uh, ancient creation accounts. I mean, night and day, it speaks about the character of this God, Yahweh, uh, in Christianity and, and Judaism. Like it speaks about the character of this God, uh, as opposed and over and greater and more noble than any of these gods in yeah. Babylonian and Egyptian, Assyrian, Akkadian, like all of the above, uh, this God is not banal. This God is not selfish. This God is not. Um, this God is not like self-serving and needy. And what's more mind-blowing to me is that if you think hypothetically here, um, and on the Bible Project podcast, they talk a little bit about this. Is um, they talk about the Trinity. You think about. God, like what was God doing before creation, before he made anything, before anything was made? God was sitting there in the Trinity. And okay, so this is another topic to talk about at another point, but Trinitarian doctrine, because that's kind of confusing. But um, it can be confusing. But uh, Father, Son, Spirit are existed, they existed before anything else in perfect harmony with one another, perfect relationship as a community of love, um, with no need, no no want, they existed in perfection there. A perfect relationship, perfect relational community. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so then you think about the idea of why would this God create anything mm-hmm. if everything is perfect? If mm-hmm. The old adage, right, if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Why would he create anything? 
well, actually, it's in his nature to create more perfect relationship and community. <laughs> it's, it's in his nature to invite more into that. And that's a purpose of creation. That's an okay purpose of creation. And to our Western ears, our Western American ears, it doesn't build a big economy. It doesn't build a big building. It doesn't build a big business that makes lots of money. And it, there's no means to an end here. It's God being himself. Mm-hmm. And Yahweh is a God and Jesus by, by default because Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. Um, God is a God who loves relationship and created the world for that sake and for community and for perfection yeah. and beauty. Uh, and so it's very interesting to, to see these contrasts. But ultimately, the temple, the temple theology thing is the idea that God create, creates this world and all that's in it to be his temple so that he can live in it with people forever. Mm-hmm. And you see that come to fruition in the book of Revelation, actually, right? Because the goal, uh, as we know from the narrative of Scripture, is to return to this state where God dwells with his people in the world in perfection again. And that's why it's such a huge deal that at the end of Revelation, every tear would be wiped away and all sin, death, and evil would be eradicated from God's good world because, which then that, that's accomplished through Jesus and through his kingdom. But um, that's why it's such a big deal mm-hmm. because of the idea that sin, death, and evil has ruined God's good creation and God's good world. And uh, it must be restored to right again. It must be made right again mm-hmm. uh, in order for God to dwell in his <clears throat> temple with his people again. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful imagery that we see when we talk about the why here. Mm-hmm. Um, why create? Yeah, why, why create? Why like, create? Why, is this, why is this whole thing created? Yeah. Um, but that's what the author of Genesis is trying to answer. And, I mean, I, I just think it's looking at it through that lens. And I, so I, this is my first time hearing of the temple hermeneutic and so just hearing the dialogue that the author is having with other um authors and and um origin stories of that time Mm. that's just such a a a bold statement for them to make um and weird for those people i'm sure it was this really for the people who were living then in this ancient civilization who might i add were probably very intelligent and bright um Sometimes I think I tend to say, oh, they were ancient civilizations. Mm. They didn't think very deeply. Yeah. Um, so I'm, they probably were very intelligent. Well, there's a great uh, – sorry to interject. <clears throat> I mean that's a great point because I think there's there's a great book that – and a lot of the stuff we're talking about comes from a scholar named John Walton. And many – John Walton is a leading – like worldwide leading Hebrew uh, scholar who does a lot of research into ancient Semitic story and culture. And when I say Semitic, I don't just mean Jewish. I mean ancient Semitic could be um, ancient Near East or A-N-E, as you will read in a lot of books, but ancient Near East, uh, ancient Near Eastern literature. Uh, He's an expert in this field. Mm. Uh, And there's there's many in the world, but who, maybe not many, it's a small segment of society who study this stuff. But John Walton is foremost in this. And so he talks a lot about... um, it's called the, the modern arrogance, right? The idea mm-hmm. that uh, because something is ancient, it must be as if intelligence and um, as, as if intelligence and wit and all this stuff moves on a linear scale. And sure. just because we live now, we're better. That's not true, right? right? And I totally agree. Sorry, that's just to echo what you were saying. Right. Um, no, I just I just see that that dialogue. And if if I were someone living in that time, if I were to hear a story that was so 
different, it would make me want to investigate more. Yes. And, and kind of and seek out who is this God that they're claiming exists. Yeah. Um, in comparison to the a God who comes in and enslaves people, a God who creates for people and that isn't just sitting there in need of what the humans can offer him. Yeah. Um, but but someone who is just giving and creating. I just think right. that's a that's a wild difference and I think we see that in Jesus too, where like Jesus mm. creates this um this reality that's so different mm. and, and just mm. something that's worth like, oh, I need to investigate that. So I think that yeah. we see that New Testament reality. Yeah. And and we can I feel like I can relate to that more mm. in, in terms of, oh, there's something different going on yeah. in this person or the way that they interact with their God, there's something different about Jesus. So I want to investigate him. For these people, they didn't have Jesus. But even just this creation story is a really compelling yeah. uh, reason to seek out God. And totally. I just think that's, I don't know if that made sense. Oh, it made perfect but sense. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I was thinking about. And we were about to go there anyway, because I, I think there's that reality that Jesus, you know, when discussing the law, quote, unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the big intimidating word, the law. Uh, the law two of words. the prophets. Yeah, right. Like <clears throat> there's, uh, and Jesus' treatment of the law is so much different in mm-hmm. not necessarily an interpretation. There's a lot of good scholarly work out there that actually says that the Pharisees and Jesus were not that far off from each other, um, which is why they... It's almost like the the mom and daughter who are very similar to one another, so they butt heads a lot, <laughs> or father and son, I guess, child and parent, who are very similar to one another, and they butt heads a lot with each other. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what many scholars describe the relationship of Jesus and the Pharisees to be like when Jesus... Um, when Jesus, I mean, says things like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Um, that's a character quality of God at creation, too. Is I mean, not that things were necessarily weary, but the idea of giving you rest and, and true ultimate Sabbath rest, where you're, where you're not working to appease this God. Um, and there's this idea, I think, in... Sometimes in a Pharisaical interpretation of the law, mm-hmm. who do and the Pharisees, to their credit, really value holiness and they value, um, they understand the law very, very well, and they value the idea of being holy before a very holy God. Um, but they think that's all dependent on human power and ability, and so this law becomes this crushing, burdensome thing that you have to do to appease this God, which suddenly makes God just like every other God, right? Right. So that's clearly not God's intent because he's clearly a God who's very different than other gods of the ancient world, right? And so uh, Jesus drops into that picture and reinterprets the law in a way that is beautiful, in a way that says, no, this was meant to point to your need for me to rescue you. Not my need for you to meet these rules. Boom. Exactly. I hope that that is a massive, like, mind brain matter on the wall explosion kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I really hope so. Cause that's, uh, it's not, it's not about a, you meet, you meet my need for you. It's, uh, pointing out you have a need for me. Come yeah. back to me. Yeah. And that harkens again, back to the idea that God is the sole supplier of these things. It's God who's doing the work. It's God who's putting in the effort, uh, to create that. So what does that mean for science and faith though? Mm-hmm. I think uh, this means when we look at a, a, a right interpretation of scripture, uh, what it means for us is that if you are in a scientific field, 
you can actually continue in that field. Yeah. Uh, when you're asking the question, what was this text actually trying to say to me? Was it trying to say, was it trying to make a moral statement on modern Western science? Well, no. Or modern Eastern science, it doesn't matter. Like it, modern science. It wasn't trying to make a statement on that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make statements on that, actually. Mm-hmm. And so... We, when we let scripture be scripture and do what it does and says what it says, say what it says, we actually have wiggle room to say you can hold different places mm-hmm. in this by scriptural justification. You can actually hold different places because that's not what scripture is addressing. It's not addressing the how. Mm-hmm. It's addressing a why. So as long as we stay with that why, we can actually address some of these conversations. And it's okay for you to say, I'm a scientist who uses evolution in my job. It's also okay for you to say... Uh, no, I'm going to stick with what it says. And even though you're saying why, it might be six literal days still. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's all okay. But the point of the matter is um, when you make this a science text. And Sorry, you, the point of the matter. Point of, oh, nice. Um, <laughs> point of all the organic matter. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, um, the point of the matter is that when you make this a science text, which it is not, you miss a massive theme in scripture yeah. that speaks in huge ways about our God uh, and says massive things about our God that uh, we would miss otherwise. So even if you're holding a six-day literal view, don't let that deter you from learning from all the other wisdom and truth about God that this text holds. Correct. That's, that's not interpreted through the lens of a science textbook. Yep. Um, like the saying that one through two is a science textbook. Yep. And if you uh, are someone who uses evolution um, in your job or in the way that you think about the world, don't let that deter you from this story mm-hmm. and what it tells you about God. I mean, it's the same thing for, for both camps. Yeah. Don't let that that viewpoint that you hold take away from what the author is trying to to tell us about who God is, and uh, especially the contrast of who he is compared to what every other God was thought to have been like mm, yeah. um, wow. for those people. So, What a summary. What a summary. Um, if you are looking for resources on this issue, um, we mentioned an author named John Walton. He wrote a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1, which is really great. If you're uh, a little bit nerdier in the science realm, and you're looking for good n- nerdy science reads by solid believers. Um, there's a great book called The Language of God by uh, Francis Collins, is his name. He actually led the Human Genome Project, you know, a really strong <clears throat> oh. Christian. Um, I think they won a Nobel Peace Prize for it because it's kind of a game changer in, in regard to uh, curing cancer, cancer research, other genetic uh disease uh, research, that kind of thing. Like even cystic fibrosis wasn't even really known until the Human Genome Project. I mean, it was known, but like what caused it? Understood. Understood, yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It wasn't understood, and it's still not totally understood, but the idea of like that that understanding didn't begin until the Human Genome Project. So it's a really great book in which he discusses... the human genome as a as a language a language of God. That's what he calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, anything by John Walton is really great. He does a lot of explanation on ancient world stuff. So he does another book called The Lost World of the Israelite Conquest, talking about violence in the Old Testament, which is super, super interesting. I um, need to read that. Yeah, it's so interesting. Another book called The uh, Lost World of Noah and the Flood, which I just finished. So... That was also really, really good. This um, is all John Walton, sorry. All John Walton, baby. Yeah. He also did another one called The Lost World of Adam and Eve, 
which is a discussion we are not going to get into here. <laughs> uh, we will not get into. Uh, but read John Walton. He's really great. Check him out. So great. that's all. That's everything today. Let's Don't let whatever view you hold take you away from considering Jesus or... Mm. Um, don't let it be the roadblock for other people exactly. that you talk with. There are bigger issues, folks. Yep. Bigger things. So this has been Nate Mike, <laughs> NMB, Nate Mike Brown. Not North Myrtle Beach, you crew people. NMB is actually <laughs> Nate, Nate Mike Brown. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it hates me right now. Um, uh. Anyway, thanks for joining us today. Hope you have a great rest of your day, and uh, tune in next time. Thanks for listening to the Grow You podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page, leave a comment, and share the podcast with your friends on social media. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And again, thanks for listening. Wait, wait. Is, is there a next time? Is this our last one of the season? We can always edit this out. It might be the next one of the season. The last, next one or the last next one? one? Wait. You know what? We'll just leave it hanging. Mystery. Watch me. Do, 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 do.